Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone. Try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Joins Lawrence Holmes. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert. As Steve was saying, try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve actually poked his bare hand in the booth and has cut himself open. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of blood. Social media god Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes right now on The Score. We are so happy that Stoney is back in the rotation for us here on the show that we get the opportunity every now and again to talk baseball with score senior baseball analyst Steve Stone. You can watch him, of course, as the games come back on the 12th on NBC Sports Chicago. He'll be there alongside our buddy Jason Benetti for every one of your White Sox games. And now Stoney joins me here on the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford has five new and used vehicles for you to choose from out in Melrose Park on North Avenue. Go to APFord.com. Hey, Stoney. Lawrence, how you doing? Everything good uh, back in our lovely city? Yeah, we've been very lucky. Yesterday, it was seventy degrees here. Well, that sounds that sounds really good. Just just keep it there. I'll be back. We're doing a couple of spring games actually from Chicago. Jason and I will be uh, will be getting used to uh, road games away from the ballpark. We'll be doing our home games from the ballpark this year. But I do have some really exciting news coming up on the thirteenth. Uh, I'll be doing a game with Len Casper. Uh, Jason will have the day off, and uh, now that I've completely recovered from my paper cuts, I'm ready to go. And Len and I will uh, will try to bring you all of the all of the action as we move to about the halfway point of spring training, um, en route to uh, starting our season on April 1st. It's it's getting really exciting. Well, Stoney, I wanted to ask you about that, and I think that's awesome that you and Lynn are going to hook up and do a game. That's going to be a lot of fun, two smart guys doing baseball, which is kind of what you do on the regular basis with our buddy Jason Benetti. <laughs> but but I'm curious, how do you think it's impacted teams overall that spring training from a numbers standpoint, there aren't as many people in the camp, so you're seeing pitchers maybe start a little bit later in games. They're doing side sessions, but in games – than you would ordinarily. How do you think it's impacted the the preparation? Well, probably the real difference is that, uh, and and the fans have commented on this consistently, you're looking at a lot of six-inning games, now seven-inning games. They're not playing the full nine, and the reason is they don't have a, a whole carload of minor league pitchers, so you can take them there in case something happens to uh, one of the mainstays. You want to limit his innings. He gets in trouble in an inning. You always brought in your minor league guys to wrap up just about each and every game. This wasn't the case this year. In fact, the uh, the minor leaguers will not be coming into spring training until 
Major League Spring Training is over, which means you just have the arms you invited to spring training, which means uh, uh, the games were kind of limited as far as the innings were concerned, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just different than it's been. Guys are getting maybe one less at bat. But, you know, don't forget, the starters were not getting four or five at bats in a game anyway. So that won't come until later till these guys go the distance. But uh, I don't think it, it's it's really that big a deal. I, I think maybe it'll keep the guys uh, fresher longer. Maybe the dead arm period that everybody experiences in spring training and then perhaps in the middle of May, maybe that won't come around quite as soon this year. We don't really know because this is unprecedented. We'll have to see like everybody else as we go along. I, during the the trade deadline last year, was like, man, Lance Lynn would look really good on the south side. He'd make a good fit for, for what the White Sox need. They've gone out and gotten him this year. I'd love to know from you a scouting report on him because I one of the things I like about him is that he gets people out with his fastball, and he's been able to, to kind of change it and manipulate his fastball to get folks out. I love that. Well, I think the fact that he piles up a lot of innings is really going to help the bullpen. In fact, uh, you know, you've got Giolito out there. You've got Lance Lynn. These are guys that will go fairly deep into each and every game, which means that the bullpen will have a, a couple of days. Uh, Keiko's going to give you at least five, take you into the sixth inning most of the time, sometimes a little beyond that. So three of the guys in the rotation are going to be there quite some time. And, again, that's going to be a huge help to the bullpen, especially as they move along. And, and we've talked about the bullpen of the White Sox consistently, I think it's either the best or among the best in baseball, and I think we'll see that this year. So those three guys will be bullpen savers. Lance Lynn has done something that a lot of pitchers can't do, and and maybe you're familiar, you obviously are familiar with the transition of Bartolo Colon. Uh, He went from a really hard thrower to a guy who still used his fastball almost all the time, but he did different things with it. He rolled it over sometimes. He cut it other times. He uh, he rode it quite a bit, and and he did different things with the fastball. And Lance Lynn is a master of that. You know, everybody everybody Lawrence has a tendency to think, well, fastball. Well, that's one pitch. Well, it's really not. It's one pitch if you want to throw it consistently at one speed. Yes, then it's one pitch. The four seam fastball, backspin. You try to get as much velocity as you can, and then it's one pitch. But if you do different things with it, it becomes three pitches, maybe four pitches. So it's deceiving to say that Lance Lynn will throw 80% fastballs and everybody assumes each pitch looks the same. The reality is that each pitch comes out of his hand the same, but it does something different. So you can be sitting on a fastball, most likely, let's say, if he throws 80% of them, you're going to guess right. However... Are you going to guess, is it going to be a two-seamer that moves into you if you're a right-hand hitter? Is it going to be a four-seamer that that rides a bit and is a little faster than his two-seamer? Is it going to be the cutter that moves away from you if you're a right-hand hitter? Is it going to be a hybrid that gets a little more depth on it, which acts like a slider? Well, nobody's going to be able to guess. So take a fastball and guess right 80% of the time. That's pretty good. Four to five times you're going to be right. However... Then look at the fastball and realize there's four different fastballs, and now you're down to 25% from your 80%, which means it's not such a good percentage. And if he doesn't make a mistake, you're probably going to be in trouble. That's been the success of Lance Lynn as he's become one of the better pitchers in baseball. So the Sox got themselves a good one. They've got themselves a durable guy. You've got themselves a bullpen saver. They've got themselves one of the guys who's going to help lead some of the other guys and explain to them exactly what he's trying to do. Each and every guy not only is his own pitching coach, but each and every guy will act as a somewhat of a pitching coach for the other guys in the starting rotation. Lynn's been around a long time. He's going to help the younger pitchers.
Steve Stone, SCORE senior baseball analyst, joining me here for a few minutes. Michael Kopech was talking over the last couple of days about the transition from being a starter to being a reliever. What would you like for him to understand about the the two different roles and how to lean into being a reliever at first? Well, I think sometimes as a starting pitcher, what happens is they get ahead of themselves, especially the young starters. In the first at-bat, you're thinking about what am I going to have to use to him in the third at-bat or fourth at-bat. Um, one of the things that relief pitchers have to deal with is the idea of warming up differently. And Lance Lynn has already uh, talked with him, with Michael Kopech, and, and a lot of other guys have talked with him. Certainly, um, uh, I'm sure Ethan Katz has gotten into his ear well, about it. There's no doubt about it. He's talked about warming up only from the stretch which means you don't have to worry about the windup because you're not going to be using it. You don't have to worry about the third time facing a guy because you're only going to face him once, most likely. And so with that idea, what happens is, uh, uh, Lawrence, you boil, you boil the, the whole effort down to its simplest parts. You're trying to make a good pitch every time. What happened with Michael Kopech, his stuff was so good. He was trying to make a strikeout pitch on strike one. Nobody in the long history of our game has been able to find a way to strike anybody out on strike one. So don't throw your best fastball nipping the outside corner on strike one because it doesn't do any good. So it's just strike one. So use the outer third on your good fastball. Maybe he fouls it back. What happened with Kopech as a starter is he would throw that good fastball a lot, somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 to 70% of the time, and they would foul it back with two strikes. Consequently, the pitches would pile up not going to have to worry about that as a reliever and he's gotten more depth on his slider it's become a better pitch he's throwing his curveball you don't have to have that full arsenal you don't have to change speed as much but he will have to just concentrate on this pitch one pitch at a time it's the most important pitch he'll throw and don't worry about anything else when he gets that he's going to be a handful to deal with for anybody. You can imagine Kopech and Crochet both coming out of the bullpen, both throwing fire. And here, match up with this. See how you're going to do. And then Hendricks at the back end with, with big fastballs. You got guys in the middle. I mean, Foster and Marshall looking pretty good. You got Bummer, who's got a, a sinker and a cutter that moves as well as anybody in baseball. I mean, uh, Hoyer showed last year you can get anybody out. You look at his, uh, his batting average against and look at his earned run average. I mean, it was minuscule. You got some guys who can really pitch out there and it's going to be up to the starting rotation to protect the bullpen somewhat because the bullpen is going to win a lot of games for this team stoney you sound so excited and it was great like i know that you were excited to see him be back with jason like that came across in the broadcast but it, it sounds like there's more than that here it sounds like that there's a real excitement about what this white Sox team can do is that what i'm hearing as a listener well what, what you're hearing is simply this We've all, all White Sox fans and the front office and everybody associated with White Sox baseball has lived through some very painful rebuilding times. And everybody was anxious. Everybody was impatient. Everybody was saying, well, hey, when's this going to happen? I mean, you promised us this and you promised us this. And then in the third year, they said, well, there's, they should be getting really good in the third year. Okay, so every year we talked about it. Every year I talked about the process. They have to go through the process. No team on a full rebuild has ever won early. That's just the way it is. You don't, you don't tear it down to the studs, rebuild it, and then win. It's a process. The Sox have gone through that. This is the first year when I can look all Sox fans in the face or talk to them on your show and the other shows I'll be on on the score and tell them definitively this team 
has more than an outside chance to go to and win the World Series. This team is one of the highest-rated teams in baseball. This team has some of the most talent in baseball. This team will devastate some mediocre pitchers. This team's going to score a lot of runs. And what none of us can predict is, number one, injuries to impactful players. Number two, we can't uh, really predict the COVID influence on this, even though we've got it on the run here, Lawrence, which is a good thing. Both teams on either side of town have announced they're, they're going to have a little over 8,000 fans for the game. The players are ecstatic. The fans are ecstatic. But this year, for the first time, I can definitively say that this team is good enough to win the World Series. Will they? I don't know. But can they? Of course they can. And if they figure out the back two in the starting rotation, and let me tell you something, Dylan Cease is going to benefit from everything we talked about with Michael Kopech and more because he's being talked to by a lot of different people, getting a lot of input. He's already smoothed out his motion. He already looks like a guy that's going to contribute. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, he's going to be that dominating pitcher from the start, but I know he's going to be a dominating pitcher. And then whoever wins number five, whether it's Rodon and Lopez, four and five in the rotation, if they smooth out to go with those top three and that bullpen, this is going to be a dominating pitching staff. And then add the offense. Add Moncada coming back healthy. Take a look at Luis Robert, what he's done this spring. Andrew Vaughn has shown he's not overmatched by anybody. And then you add Grandal when he comes back from the knee issue. Adam, Adam Eaton, who can be an impactful player when he's healthy, and he seems to be healthy this spring. Adam Engel is completely improved. Look at Eloy. He's going to be a, a one-man wrecking crew when he gets it together, and you bring back Abreu, and you bring back Tim Anderson, who's going to be competing for a, uh, a batting title again, and Madrigal, who hit over 300 last year and keeps getting on base, and maybe the best two-strike hitter in baseball at this very young age. This is going to be a team that's going to make some noise. It's going to really make it difficult for a lot of teams in this league, and that's why I'm excited. That's why everybody associated with the White Sox is excited, and that's why the fans are getting excited now only to be more excited as this year moves along. I saw something a couple days ago that I wanted to, to specifically talk with you about, and it, it's happened before, and it'll probably happen again, and it's <laughs> the the communication between Aloy and Robert out in, in left field because that's another yeah. one of those balls that Robert went to go get in left field. I'm concerned about this, and it's a small concern. It's it's a concern of of a, of a fan base that has a lot of riches right now. When you look at all the talent around the diamond, how can they get their communication to be better? And quite honestly, look, I think that Aloy is probably a DH, but I'm okay with him learning to play left field. And I just felt like that was the type of ball where, if if I'm Robert, like this is spring training, these games don't count. Let's help Aloy be a better fielder instead of Robert showing off that incredible range that he has. Well, there's a couple of things that come in, in into play, and uh, I agree with you. Uh, Aloy is trying to get better. There's no doubt about it. But I, I think, and this is a simple thing, there has to be a conversation, and I'm sure there will be, between all the people working with him defensively and Tony LaRusa. And he goes up to him and says, look, here's the most important thing for you. We have to keep you on the field. Don't want to see you diving in the stands, uh, you know, into the net uh, along the left field stands. I don't want to see you banging into the fence, uh, especially in April, May, June, or July. We need you on the field as much as we possibly can. You can't help us on the injured list. It's impossible to do that. And then I sit down and I put Aloy and I put Luis Robert in a room. And I have Luis talk to Aloy. 
and I have Eloy recognize Luis's voice. I have him get on left of him and the right of him and behind him and a little in front of him. I have him yell and I have him talk at a normal level and I have him maybe speak into a megaphone. I have him get to the point where he recognizes Luis's voice. He can recognize it in his sleep. And then every time he hears it, he doesn't catch the ball. Every time he hears it, he moves in another direction and lets the gold glover catch the ball. I mean, that's what Luis can do. He can catch the ball. And I think every time Eloy hears his voice, he needs to back away. Now, that's simple, certainly, and, and a little, uh, that's a little satire there. But I think that's something he has to get used to. Because on every baseball team, the center fielder takes everything he can get. And that's just the way this works. The center fielder is a captain of the outfield. He takes everything. He takes it to his right. He takes it to his left. And, you know, there, there were, um, there were uh, some folks who felt that maybe just uh, Adam Engel and Luis Robert can cover the whole outfield. That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> but, but I do believe that Eloy should move toward the left field line. I think he should take away the line, which means he's going to take away some doubles from various people. And, pretty much let uh, let Luis Robert take whatever he can take in left center field. I think that takes the pressure off Eloy, and I think this is, will be a better outfield for it. So I think the learning process of spring training, both guys came away unscathed. I think both are going to be okay. It's probably a good thing that they bumped into one another. It gives everybody a chance to remind Eloy that um, – He's not going to win a gold glove in left field, and staying on the field is the key for, for this year and every year as far as his offensive skills are concerned. I always love when you offer up some guidance for, for young players, and, and I heard you talking a little bit last week on the score about some things. I'd love to know, when you're talking about the mental skills aspect of playing mm-hmm. the game at whatever position, for for the the young player that or their dad or mom that's in the car that's listening right now, what are some of the steps that that player can take at this point in their career? No matter you know they're playing baseball or softball, this point in their career, how can they start themselves on the path to being better mentally? Well, I, look, I think that it's a, a very difficult process, and what I talk about a lot with professional players is that. The game is, call it 75 to 80% mental. And I remember going to Roland Heeman in 1977, and I said, can you answer a question for me? And he said, sure. I said, this game is what, what percent mental? He said, well, everybody has a different view. Some people say 85%, some people say 65%. I said, so for the purpose of this conversation, will you give me it's 75% mental? He goes, sure. I said, okay. So the game is three-quarters mental. Why have I always had five or six physical coaches for 25% of the game and no mental coaches for 75% of the game? Now, bear in mind, this was 1977. Nobody was talking about it. And Roland said, well, geez, I've never thought about that. I said, no, you probably haven't, nor has too many other people. But if you can refine this, imagine here in 1977, if you can get a leg up, on 75% of the game, by bringing in mental coaches to teach these guys and make them better, to learn how to win with less than their best, to learn how to perform against guys who are better athletes than they are, to really believe that today is their day, to do all of those things you have to do to get your mind in the right place, to win when you just don't have your great stuff on a given day, whether you're a hitter or a pitcher. Imagine what the White Sox organization will be. And Roland said, that's great. And then nothing, of course, came of it for many, many years after that. However, <laughs> um, now 
everybody is starting to realize that the integration of the physical and the mental aspect of performance is the way to get the best out of yourself on a daily basis. Because when you play baseball daily, you're going to have days you just don't feel too good. You have days you don't feel too good. I don't feel too good on certain days. But if you're performing, you have to bring out the best you have. And to do that, you have to really psych yourself up to giving the best effort you can. And that's a set of mental gymnastics that each and every person will work out. I had the disadvantage of having to work out my own, but now everybody talks about it. Um, Ethan Katz is so very good at this idea, and he understands the integration of both the mental and the physical aspect of pitching. But it goes beyond a pitcher. It goes to a hitter. It goes to, to learning how to feel, learning how to concentrate. This is you know, the idea of focus, which is a word that's come in probably the last 10 to 15 years. This is the ability each and every situation, each and every pitch, Put 100% of your focus on that play. If you do that, you can't be surprised by anything. It's why a pitcher has to take every emotion he has, let them all drain away, and then use that to focus 100% of the pitch he's going to make. The hitter trying to figure out the release point from a pitcher, he's looking at that release point trying to pick up the baseball. Hawk used to talk about being a 56-foot hitter, meaning you can get to the ball out of the pitcher's hand and you can see it for 56 feet. The guy who's a 52 or 51-foot 50, hitter, he's not going to be able to see the ball soon enough or recognize the spin. So for a hitter, that intensity is picking up the ball out of a pitcher's hand and almost getting to a point where it's illuminated. You're looking at that ball, the release point, and the ball, when you're going right, you can see it out of his hand. It looks like a beach ball. From a pitching standpoint, when you're going right, you take a look at at a certain part of the plate, and you know for a fact you're going to throw whatever pitch you have into that spot. And it's not throwing at the catcher's glove, because if you're throwing a big curveball, you can't throw at the catcher's glove. You have to throw at a release point. Sometimes the release point is your right-hand pitcher is the left shoulder of, of a right-hand hitter. You look at that release point, you throw that curveball right at that release point, it goes exactly where you want it, which is low and away, the wipeout curveball, see you later, come back tomorrow. Well, each and every pitch has to be met with that much intensity. So when you talk about young performance, you have to tell them, number one, enjoy each and every day because uh, that's the key. If you like something, if you love something, you're going to do it or try to do it well. And then use that, use that to tell them, look, we've got to think about the mental aspect as much as we do the physical. Now, if you're a, an amateur player, you've got to hone the physical skills. You'll never get to a professional player unless the physical skills are there. Once you get to there, Lawrence, that's when you get to the point where you start refining the mental aspect of your performance. But you have to spend a great deal of time on it because people want to spend 98% of their time on 25% of the game, the physical aspect. They don't, unless they're a superstar, they don't perform as well as they could. So knowing that it's 75% mental, spend a lot of time on that aspect of the game. You hone your own idea of this is what I have to do, A, B, C, D, E, and F then G is winning. And if you cover all of those bases, it's like dominoes. Put them in a straight line, hit one domino, five miles of dominoes will fall. Put one out of alignment and the chain reaction stops. That's the same thing with getting yourself prepared for a performance. You get everything in line, and you're going to believe that this performance is going to be a good one. And I knew I wasn't near as good as some of the guys that I had to get out on a given day. But my thought process was, you're going to go to the Hall of Fame, except not today, because today is my day. I'm so glad that you said that, Stoney, because so, you'll find like so many kids will spend time, all this time in the batting cage. And it's like, that's great that you're working on your swing, but 
there's other aspects of this that you need to be working on that that don't necessarily have to do with you taking another 50 pitches in the cage. Well, that you know, look, you you have to get the physical aspect of it, but then you have to figure out for yourself how you can get yourself coming to the ballpark and feel like you're plugged into an electric socket. Uh, you have to convince yourself on the focus aspect. And I used to tell myself uh, during uh, a lot of this, well, I used creative visualization and uh, some uh, some self-hypnosis, a number of different things. But I would tell myself that my concentration was going to rise commensurate with the severity of the situation I was in. So if I had nobody on and two outs, my concentration was good. But if I had one on runners at, uh, one runner, let's say, at, at third base, uh, two outs in an inning, my concentration would be better. If I had bases loaded and one out, my concentration would be better still. So I would convince myself that the severity of my situation would precipitate a response of focus, which would get more and more intense to the point where nothing in the world existed but this next pitch. And I would stand on the mound. You used to call it the green and brown theory, something I invented. Give myself any emotion I wanted to when I was on the green grass. As soon as I went to the brown dirt of the mound, I had every emotion drain away because, as I've talked about it many times, anger is a luxury a pitcher cannot afford because it distorts his perceptions. And so I would get every emotion gone. The only thing I thought about was the next pitch. The only thing I thought about was where I was going to throw it. The hitter was irrelevant at that point. If I executed my pitch, I knew I could get him out. And all of the concentration that I had, because um, concentration is that narrow beam of light. It's like a laser scope you see in these movies. All of a sudden, the scope appears, boom, on a guy, the guy is, is gone. Same thing with a pitch. If you have it down to that focus, that laser focus that you need, you're going to make that pitch. And that's, uh, that's how I turn things around in my career, and that's how just about anybody can do the same, but they've got to figure it out for themselves. They'll have some help. But in the end, you're figuring it out for yourself. Stoney, we're so lucky to have you both on the broadcast and here on the score. Thank you for a great kickoff to the season. And I look forward to our conversations throughout the season. Okay, Lawrence, take care. Have a very good show. And uh, uh, a big, exciting year for White Sox baseball is about to start here in about three weeks. I agree with you. That is Steve Stone. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.